Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure you get one. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 18 this morning. And the first person who gets there gets a free iPad. No, I'm just kidding. Just... Luke chapter 18. Man, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. We have an information packet on, the, on our church. It's right out at the Welcome Center directly across from the sanctuary. You can stop there and grab that on your way out. Uh, for those of us who are joining in our live stream, uh, we want to welcome you as well, as well as those who are joining with us in a podcast or on our website later. Um, we're so excited, man, this morning to just be worshiping God. And, it, and, you know, I believe that God has a life-transforming message this morning for us. God has just been working me over in this text this last week, and it's been an incredible time. Been a lot of healing that God is doing in my heart as well. So there's some really cool things that I want to show you this morning. Really, we're kind of a part one, part two message in Luke chapter 18 at the end of the chapter there, beginning in verse 35 through uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is really what we'll be looking at. We're going to be looking at two different uh, fellas um, that exercise faith. And so we're going to be talking about faith the next couple weeks. And uh, specifically, the title of my message this morning is Faith That Works. How many people want to have faith that actually works? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So stand with me if you would, please. And we're going to read our account this morning in Luke chapter 18. We're beginning in verse 35, where it says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind, blind man was sitting by the crossroad begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your, shot, your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and following, followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see Jesus see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So we ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, and for he was about to pass the way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in he, he was gone in, in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The lost and father we thank you for your word this morning lord we know that 
It is God-breathed. The words that we have on our pages this morning are not words that are merely man's words. They are spirit-inspired. You breathe the very things that they wrote through them onto the pages of Scripture. Lord, we believe that with all of our hearts this morning. And so as we consider that this is Your Word, and how powerful Your Word is, that You could create something from nothing with Your words, what can You do with us this morning? How much can You transform our lives if we will only hear and obey Your words? We pray, God, that You would build us up in faith this morning. And we ask You, Lord, to, to take out the things in our lives that don't belong. Lord, replace them with faith this morning. We would believe You beyond anything or anyone. So we come, Lord, and we ask that You do Your life-transforming work in our hearts this morning. Lord, get me out of the way. May Your Spirit be the only one speaking this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we continue the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, we find ourselves uh, here where Jesus is moving fearlessly towards Jerusalem. Uh, we've been watching Him kind of walk through uh, the history of you know nearly 2,000 years ago. And as he is moving towards uh, Jerusalem, we know that he's moving towards the cross. And Jesus had just told them last week, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be turned over by the Jews to the Gentiles. They're going to crucify me. They're going to mock me, flog me, and crucify me. He knew what was coming. And yet he was fear fearlessly walking towards the cross. All the while Jesus was going that way, he knew that his time was short. He began to teach into his disciples' lives some very, very important kingdom principles. And that's what we've been looking at the past several weeks. As Jesus would say, uh, you know, what, what are, how do we live our lives on earth as kingdoms, uh, kingdom citizens? How do we do that? And so he was teaching his disciples last week, as you uh, may have recalled, that how to be great in the kingdom of God. And he told them the only way to be great is to be the servant of all. And of course, Jesus, you know, he exemplifies that example by serving us all to the point that he would lay down his life. He told us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 20 there, he said, I will be delivered over to the scribes and the Pharisees. And we talked about the fact that Jesus, there was one in his camp that would deliver him over, one of his own that would deliver him over, and yet Jesus would still love him. And so no matter where you are today and what you've done, Jesus loves you, and he wants relationship with you, and he is tirelessly working in your life right now to help you come to that place where you will turn away and you'll turn to him. It's what he desires for you. But he told them, I will be delivered over. And even at the Last Supper, he said, one of you will betray me, and that would be Judas. And he did do that. Who would he betray them? He, he gave, he handed him over to the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that were supposed to be waiting for Jesus to come. And yet they were not. They were more concerned about their own fame and glory than they were about understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. He had done everything that he needed to do to declare to the people of that time that I am Messiah, and yet they missed it. And yet there are many people in our day and age that Jesus is continuing to reveal himself to that will say, no, I, I don't believe it. Well, it takes faith, doesn't it? 
Of course it does. But Jesus demonstrated to the scribes and Pharisees the power of God in him as the spokesperson of God, as the Messiah. And they knew that, uh, you know, they, they had asked the question, are you the Messiah? And Jesus demonstrated that he was the Messiah by all the things that he did. And yet they rejected him. And they would then deliver him over to the Gentiles. Because during this time, again, as I spoke last week, we're not going to spend, don't worry, we're not going to spend all, all the time on last week. But we've got to work our way up to this. So last week, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, when Jesus was being handed over to the Gentiles, that was because they were under Roman rule. The Jews didn't have the authority to kill anyone. They were under Roman rule and they, they were going to deliver. They were going to follow the rules as it related to Jesus because he was such a high profile target that they must follow the rules. And so they did. And they, they're going to deliver him over. This speaks about all of the uh, things that will happen at the cross as we get there where he has trials before the governors uh, of Rome and they, and they are the ones that say, man, don't bring this guy to us. We don't want anything to do with it. Even Pilate would wash his hands of his blood. But they would cry out, crucify him. And so you can see uh, the manipulation that's happening, no doubt behind the scenes even, where they can deliver him over to the Gentiles so that he can be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Jesus is heading right this very moment into the most tragic and triumphant moments in human history where he would be mocked. The Son of God. The Great I Am inhuman likeness that he would be mocked by sinful man that he would be flogged that he would be beaten nearly to the end of his death and then he would be crucified on a criminal's cross why well he said last week he gave his life so that we could have life he came to serve so that you and i could have life he came to serve and be a ransom for many that's why he gave up his life. And when we talk about serving God, we're talking about literally sacrificially giving up our lives for the sake of others. And that's what we talked about last week. Jesus Christ would become a ransom. The sacrificial lamb that would be slain for the sin of the world. He gave his life, literally, to buy us back out of the clutches of sin. Now, how many people have done that for you? How many people would do that for you? Not many. Not many. Your spouse might be even thinking, man, I wouldn't do that for him. You know, or I wouldn't do that for her. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to create marriage problems here. But um, here's the thing. Jesus Christ would do that for you, and he did do that for you. To buy you out of the clutches of sin. To, to set you free from the clutches of death. He bought back that which was lost in the Garden of Eden. And He shed His innocent blood to give us life that anyone who would believe in His life, death, and resurrection would be saved, would be set free. It was tragic. And yet, it was also triumphant. It's triumphant. There's no other sacrifice that could be used to buy us back out of our situation, out of our sin, out of the wages of sin, which is death. We needed a perfect Savior and Jesus is that perfect savior and so he's making his way to jerusalem from bethany beyond the jordan you know and he is ascending to jerusalem it's a hard hard road up to jerusalem it's about a four thousand foot elevation climb no matter where you go from 
uh, Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet in elevation. So no matter where you go in Jerusalem or in, in Israel, you're always going up to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it sits up higher than everything around it. So Jesus is teaching them kingdom principles along the way about how to be great. He's trying to help them understand that earth is not a waiting room. It's a training ground for heaven. Like we're not waiting to live kingdom lives until we get to heaven. We're supposed to be living them now. And that is supposed to be the difference as we go into the world. The world looks at us and goes, wow, there's something different about you. Yeah, because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God and I'm using the kingdom principles to live my life out. And that's why when you see me react to things that you, know, you would think that I would blow my lid on and, I've, and, I'm, and I'm trying not to, but sometimes I do, but then when I do, I confess my sin to you because it's wrong, but I'm trying to live like a kingdom person because Jesus Christ bought me out of this world and brought me into marvelous light into the kingdom of God. And so I'm trying to do that. That's, my, that's what I'm trying to do. We're not just biding our time here until we kick the bucket or Jesus comes back, right? That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be living our lives for Christ. And I exhorted you last week that if you're not doing that, there is no better time to start than today because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. So what you have in this life is this moment right now. What will you do with it? Will you live your life for Christ or will you spend the moments that you have foolishly on yourself, serving yourself rather than serving God? You will not be great in the kingdom of God. And by the way, God created you for greatness. Created you to be great. He created you to serve, and that's how you are to become great. You have the choice. You can do that or not. The kingdom operates completely different than the way that our lives operate. And as he he sort of ended that, he said, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, just serve like I serve. And do you know that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, I didn't get to this last week, and so I'm trying to kind of bring in last week into this week because it's important. But as we ended last week, Paul wrote something important about Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, you may know the verses, nine, verses 9 through 11. You know, because Jesus Christ emptied himself of his glory, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, Paul talks about in, in Philippians 2, it says in verse 9, therefore, because of what he did, Therefore, looking backwards to what he had just got done saying, therefore, he, God, has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, the name of Jesus. It's the name above every name. So that every, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. What? Paul is saying is Jesus Christ became the greatest thing in heaven because he became the servant of all. And that's what he says. That's a kingdom principle. You want to be great, you've got to serve other people. And so he teaches his disciples that. Now, he's, he's again journeying towards Jerusalem. He's destined for greatness because he is going to continue to serve even to the point of laying down his life. Now, word would spread, no doubt, when Jesus was you know, walking anywhere But during this time, there would be tens of thousands of people going to Jerusalem. There were three different feasts that they would be that they would be required. A male servant would be, our male uh, Jew would be required to uh, attend, and so they would travel this road, no doubt, a lot. And there would be tens of thousands of people. Jerusalem would swell, uh, you know, to a couple million people. They suspect, you know, during this time, uh, because the Jews would come and celebrate the feast of Passover. 
the, the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Booze are, you know, it's like a big, the Feast of Booze is like a big camping trip, you know, in Jerusalem for a week. They come, they set up their tents and they be, they're reminded under the stars of how great God is and what he did uh, from the Exodus. Well, as they were journeying, some, no doubt, word spread, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's coming from Bethany beyond the Jordan, which is on the, on the uh, east side of Jerusalem, and he's traveling through Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. And, you know, no doubt, uh, when you were a beggar during this time, when you were somebody who was looking to make your living off of people, you know, when you, when you didn't have a, way, a means of uh, making your living, you would, you would flock to the roads when during this time you'd be like, man, I got to get the, to the road there. And that's what we see in our text. We see that, you know, word is being spread that Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem. And so we see a response to that. Now, uh, there are two men in our text that we talked about, Bartimaeus and, uh, you know, Zacchaeus, both. And they are responding by faith to what Jesus is doing as Jesus is coming, I'm call, again, the message is called faith that works because there are two different kinds of faith when it comes to responding to Jesus. There's faith that works and then there's a faith that doesn't. And we know people that have both, don't we? We know people, not, not the same person, but we know some that say, oh, I have faith in Jesus, but you know by the fruit of their life that they don't because it's not faith that works. We say this word faith and that's supposed to just mean that we're believers, and it doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, when you say the word faith, it's matched with a lifestyle. It's matched with, you know, fruit in your life that would suggest that God Himself is living inside of you and you're a different person. Amen? Like, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So if you've entered into relationship by faith in Christ, you're different. And people should notice. If God is living inside you, Shouldn't your life look different? Of course it should. That, that's just, you know, obvious that it should. And yet, you know, this word faith has been watered down in our culture. And people say it all the time. Oh, I'm just, well, I got my faith. You know, well, what is your, well, my faith is uh, in the wilderness. You know, that's my faith. Well, my faith is this and that. What does that even mean? I mean, you see how the enemy takes words that are so powerful and so meaningful uh, as it relates to coming into reconciliation with God himself, that the world would take them and water them down because, you know, it's a method of distraction. It's a method of deluding God. Oh, you don't really have to give your life up for Christ. You know, no, I mean, you know, you don't have to do that. Well, actually, if you crown him Lord, what does that mean? Does that not mean laying your life down? To say, hey, I'm your servant? Or does that mean hey, Jesus, me and you are buddies and I get to do whatever I want to do and I'll see you in heaven. Is that what that means? Of course not. But it's our words, the way that we, we redefine everything in our culture. We, we see this, obviously, and I don't have to even talk about it because we know we're doing that. But we've redefined the idea of faith. And that's why there is faith that works and then there's faith that doesn't. And when I say faith that works, I'm talking about faith that actually is evident by works. Like it's not just dead. James said it like this in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. He said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says um, to them, Go in peace and be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The last time I checked, dead means non-existent, right? It's just dead. It doesn't exist. Faith without works is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now what James isn't saying is that you can be saved by works. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that works are the evidence of your salvation. That's what he's saying. If you really have faith in Christ, then like you're going to be living like Jesus. Now you're not going to do it perfectly, of course. But you will be you know, somewhat looking like Jesus to some degree. Every day you get up in the mirror, your goal should be like, man, I want to I be more like Jesus today. I want to look low, more like Jesus today. And that should be our goal. But, and and, and what, what he's saying is we know that we're saved by grace through faith. But what James is saying is that culturally, you know, when we take a word and we, we just make it mean whatever we want, He's saying that even back in this day it was happening. Faith without works is dead. It's just dead. What that means is there are two different kinds of faith in our world. There's authentic faith and there's counterfeit faith. There's faith that works. There's faith that does not work. That's what James is saying. Faith that works is authentic faith that demonstrates itself. Faith that doesn't work doesn't demonstrate itself. How do I know what authentic faith looks like then? You just open up your Bible and you look at Jesus' life and you say, is my life look like that? That's how you know. Am I different than I was before? Have I been transformed? Am I being transformed? Am I convicted about what the Word of God says about certain things or am I just going with the culture? That's how we know if we're being transformed. And I'm not by any way, shape, or form saying that if you're, if you're not doing that, that you're not saved. What I'm saying is I would be concerned for myself, if I am not, I don't care about what God's word says, and I am just not being transformed on a daily basis, I would be concerned. And I would say, man, that would suggest to me that I'm not in Christ. Because again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're going to see faith that works in the life of these two men here. First, we're going to see faith that works uh, unto healing. In verse 35 there, it says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, this guy's an invalid. He, he, you know, we don't know a lot about his story behind him, but what we know is that when Jesus encounters him, he's blind. We know that he's blind. We don't know if he's been blind from the time he was born. What, what we know is he's blind now. And, and, and what matters is that this man is responding to Jesus Christ as he hears about Jesus. Now, uh, you know, again, if you're making your living as an invalid during this time period, you are basing it off of the empathy of people. Man, if you're trying to do that in this day and age, you're going to starve because the empathy of people is growing cold. I mean, people are more concerned about themselves. But again, even in our culture where that is happening, we do know that there are time periods where people are more giving, more generous than others, and that would be like around the time of Christmas. How many of you would reach into your pocket and give somebody five bucks or something because, you know, it's Christmas time and you're just, it's the spirit of giving and, you know, maybe you're a little bit more generous than, and am I the only one in the room that would do that? But I feel like, you know, it's like the spirit of Christmas and just giving and, and then I'm in that spirit, but that should be the spirit always, but we have to be careful. 
about who we're giving to. But, you know, the reality is in our culture during certain times of the year, I think people are more giving than others. That is also in this culture too. And so uh, Bartimaeus, it, that's his name, Mark tells us that. He is flocking to the roads because he knows that there are religious people heading to a place where they're going to meet with God and they're, they're a works-based religion. And so he knows that, man, the, there's at least, this is a time period where I can, you know, maybe pad my pockets a little bit more than I would normally. And so he's, he's going to the road for that purpose. You know, you can imagine as a religious person traveling to Jerusalem and you've been evaluating your life the whole you know, the, the, the whole year, and you're like, man, it's Passover again, and I haven't been living for the Lord, and I've just been doing all these wrong things, and man, I'm going to have to buy lots of sacrifices when I get there, and all this kind of stuff, and then you see old Bartimaeus sitting there on the roadside, and he's saying, will you help me? Of, well, of course, because I'm a works-based uh, person, and so yeah, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to give you something out of my pocket, because I'm trying to find, uh, I'm trying to find, uh, you know, uh, uh, some favor with God and so that's how I do it is by my works and so you could understand how how that would really work as an as an infilid during this time flocking to a main road like he is you're like wow I could really um, you know do well here um, but Bartimaeus he has his expectations may be just for him to get by for the next however long he's going to but they're going to be completely and totally radically different than what he thinks he's going to get when he gets to the road and he hears all this commotion and he's like wow what is going on he asked the question now the first thing that we see here about faith that works to heal is that it's the kind of faith that comes by hearing in verse 36 it says in hearing a crowd go by he inquired what this meant they told him jesus of nazareth is passing by so bartimaeus he's hearing what's going on of course people that have a loss of sense, whether it's you know, hearing or something, they have heightened senses and other things. And so Bartimaeus can hear all kinds of things. It's not just a massive amount of people, but he's hearing something and he's asking what's going on here. And uh, they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Everybody knew who Jesus was. Everybody knew who Jesus was. Jesus had made himself out already uh, during this time, it's, he's, his ministry was three years. He's about two months away from the cross. And so he's made a name for himself as the miracle man. And every invalid in Jerusalem, in Israel, and probably the surrounding countries wanted to get in front of Jesus because they heard the great things that he had done. And so Bartimaeus already welling up with faith in that moment because he had heard the word was coming. Now how do we hear? The Bible says... Faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word that was made flesh. And so when Bartimaeus heard that the word was coming, he is now being built up by faith. He's like, Jesus, the miracle man is coming. I don't necessarily, you know, we'll see that he, he has a little bit of understanding who Jesus is here in a moment, but he is responding by faith to him already because of what he has heard. Notice verse 38 here, 39, it says uh, that because of what he had heard, he now begins to confess something. And it says in verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, David, son, 
our son of God, son of David, have mercy on me. And Barnabas was crying out here. It literally means he was shouting and screaming. You ever been in front of somebody like at a Christian concert that's just so into Jesus that they're annoying you? Like you're like, can you just sit down? I know, I know we're here to worship, but can you just sit down because you're getting on my nerves? You know, I know we're supposed to be all about Jesus and all this. Yeah, you know, but, but can you not do that? Because you're sitting in front of me. You're, you're, you're messing up my worship. Now I'm all mad. And, you know, it's about me though, right? No, so the reality is we can get aggravated with people like that. But he is crying out to God. Everybody else around him, again, people are responding for different reasons. To When they hear about Jesus in this culture, just like they do in our culture, they respond for different reasons. Some are just coming because they're curious. Oh, Jesus, that guy. Okay, well, I'm curious about him, so I'm going to come maybe hear about him. But that's not a response by faith. That's just something that, you know, you're just coming because you're curious. There are some coming because they really, at the end of the day, don't really, uh, they, they're coming to condemn Jesus. It's the religious leaders. They don't believe anything about what he's saying. Yeah, he's doing miracles and stuff, but we believe that that's all demonic. We don't believe that it's really God that's doing that through him. And then there are those who are responding by faith saying, look, I don't know much about this guy, but I believe in what I've heard about him, and so I'm responding by faith. And that is how uh, Bartimaeus is coming to Jesus, and he is crying out uh, these words at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, everything that he has. Now that phrase is highly important. What he is saying suggests that he has some knowledge of who Jesus is. And maybe that's by the Spirit of God in the moment. I don't know. But what he is saying culturally is, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. Now, for all the Jews around him, of course they're going to say, shut up. He's not the Messiah. You don't know who the Messiah is. This guy's not the Messiah. And they're trying to say that he's not. But this guy, in his need, understanding he has nowhere else to go, is crying out at the top of his lungs, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God. Now, where does this come from? It comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. So from the, from the shoot, from the stump of Jesse, from Jesse's lineage, there's going to be, come somebody, and, uh, and a branch from his shoot shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Bartimaeus not only believed that Jesus was a miracle man, but he believed that he was the son of man. He believed that he was the son of David. Again, we don't know why he believes that, but we know that he is crying out and declaring to everyone, he is the Messiah. There are many who only believe in what Jesus can do, but don't believe at all in who he really is. Do you know that? Many people in our culture don't have a clue who Jesus is, but they, they believe in what they can get out of him. And, and so, you know, we respond to Jesus when we need something, but we're not really responding because of who he is. And let me tell you something. Genuine faith, authentic faith responds, yes, out of need because we wouldn't respond if we didn't have need, but we're responding because we recognize we're sinners and we need a Savior and we're recognizing Jesus Christ as something that can help us. We're saying you are the Savior 
And in so doing, what we're saying is, we're saying you are the Son of God. Now, you might not term it in your mind. Like when, when I came to Christ, I didn't understand who Jesus was as a person fully. And I'm not suggesting that you have to understand Jesus as a person fully when you come to him, but you have to understand somewhat who he is, that he is the Savior of the world. Otherwise, why would you call on him? And so there are people that will come and they are coming in faith that does not work because they are trying to get something out of Jesus. And when he doesn't, and you, know, you know the people, and when he doesn't do it like they want him to or he doesn't show up the way that they thought he would, then they go, see, I tried that Christianity stuff, it doesn't work. Well, no, actually, you had faith that doesn't work. Because faith that works grows in Christ and understands the depth of who he is, understands the person of Jesus Christ. Bartimaeus, for somehow, some way, he understood that Jesus had more than what he needed. Not only was he blind and he wanted to receive sight, but he understood him to be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And he is now, by faith, responding to that. You see the difference? Oftentimes we respond to God by what he can give us, but not by who he is. And there's a whole difference there because that is, to be, to be honest, that is selfism. That's, that's a Santa Claus in heaven that is supposed to, or a genie in the lamp that I get to rub and I get what I want when I want it, kind of a God, and that's not the God that we serve. He is a God who created us, who loves us immensely who gave himself for us, but is calling us to lay down our lives for him. Bartimaeus is confessing Jesus Christ as Messiah. And that's how you are saved, right? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, what, is that, what does that word mean? If you're crying aloud, Jesus, you are Lord. If you're from, your, from a heart's place of full belief in Jesus Christ, you are Lord, you're crowning him Lord. What does that word mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it's Adonai. In the Greek, it, is, uh, it means, uh, you know, it's Kyrios. And it means God and ruler. That's what it means. To crown Jesus Christ Lord of your life means that you are crowning him God of your life, ruler of your life. Now, you wouldn't just crown anybody Lord of your life, would you? I mean, you would crown only probably God Lord of your life. And it says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is Lord. Now, again, did I have that understanding when I came to Christ? No. But I knew that, he, that, I, knew that I was turning my life over to Christ Everything that I had, I'm yours. And you know, you might be here this morning, you might think like, man, that sounds so radical. Why would, you know, I think God kind of put me on earth to do what I want and, you know, and he kind of doesn't really care about what I do because he's so busy with the bigger things, you know, that he doesn't care about the details of my life. No, actually, God created you from before the foundation of the world for specific things to do. Uh, he, he's so intimate in your creation that he made good works for you to walk in before you even were created. Like he was forming and fashioning you before you were even a, a seed in your father. You know, like, I mean, he, was, he created you and designed you for something in specific. And a lot of us don't ever make it there. You know, a lot of us don't ever make it there. And 
And the reason is because he's not Lord. That's really the issue. When we don't crown God Lord of our life, we are crowning somebody Lord of our life, and oftentimes it's ourself. Or maybe it's our, our children, it's our spouse. If there's different things that, we, that control our life, how do I know who is Lord of my life? Just look at who is spent, who, who, where your time is spent. You know, look at who controls your, your, your comings and your goings. Look at you know, what you're investing in. That is really ultimately how I know what is Lord of my life. It's by what I'm doing with my life. What I'm surrounding myself with. It says that you have to crown Jesus Lord. There is no other name that's been given that we can call upon for salvation. It's Jesus Christ and He is Lord. It's important that we know who Jesus is over more so what He can do for us because if you don't confess Him as Lord, He can't be your Savior. That's what it's saying here. If you don't confess as Lord, then you can't be saved. You know, it's like, I want what you have, I just don't want you to be in control. Well, you can't have what I have then. Faith that works to heal confesses what it hears. In, in other words, it's not embarrassed about anybody else around me that's hearing. Bartimaeus doesn't care that the Jews are telling him to be, be quiet. He doesn't care about who he's bothering because Jesus Christ is the son of David and he's going to hail that from the rooftop like Jesus Christ is the son of David. And as you live your life in the world, that is how you should be living loudly for Christ. And I don't mean in a way that's, you know, again, like irritating to people, like where you're shoving Christ down your throat, but you can be irritating to people if you're doing it right. You can be. And I'm just saying what we need to do is live as he is Lord of our life and really allow him to come out in us and not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And so we, we want to live our lives for, as Bartimaeus is here, crying out to Jesus. Jesus hasn't done a single thing for him yet. And he's crying out, Jesus, you are Messiah. How much has he done for you and me? And how loud is our voice? Now we get to the place where he is confessing Jesus as Messiah. And then he says this. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this blows my mind. Because what he is saying is, Son of David, he's not saying, Son of David, give me what I want. What he is saying is, Son of David, give me what I don't deserve. I do not deserve to be uh, healed of my blindness. That's what he's saying. I deserve to be blind the rest of my life. And I'm not telling you, you owe me a thing. What I'm saying is, have mercy on me. Give me that which I don't deserve. Or, or give, me, give me that which I don't deserve. I think I said that wrong. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So he's saying, I deserve to be blind. But give me grace. Give me what I don't deserve. Heal me. He's not focused on what he can get out of Jesus, he's declaring he's, he's focused on the character of God, which is mercy. God is a merciful God. If God was not a merciful God, he would have not even gone on with creation. But it's mercy. Because he loves us. And because he formed and fashioned you before the foundation of the world, 
that he said, I have to go on with this because I'm a merciful and gracious God and I love these people who are not even born yet. And so I'm going to go on with creation. Lord, don't give me what I deserve is oftentimes the plea. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. And that's what he's saying. He's pleading on, on the mercy of God here. Bartimaeus, he heard the word of God. He responded by confessing uh, to the word. And now the third thing that he does is he asks. Faith that works to heal is the kind of faith that believes in what it asks for, verses 40 through 43. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Listen, Jesus will not pass by genuine faith. You know that? He stops when genuine faith is being displayed. Like when you come to God with real faith, genuine faith, it grabs his attention. And he's like, whoa. He stops. And he focuses on you. And he says, come to me. And that's what he does here. How amazing. It must have been to be Bartimaeus in this moment. And the whole crowd is going, what is he doing? He's calling this guy to himself? Yeah, because of his faith. Because he was crying out with everything that he had declaring who Jesus really is. It's his faith that stopped Jesus in the moment. It's his confession. And he's like, whoa, bring him to me. Listen, you have the ear of God, Christian, when you're operating by faith. You stop him in his tracks in heaven, and he's like, what my son, what my daughter? It blows his mind. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter eleven six 6, that it, Faith is the only way to please God. Like it pleases him so much that you stop him in his tracks when you're operating by faith. Something divine will happen when you stop God. When you're operating by faith, God is going to do something. Now it may not be what you want him to do, but he is going to move because faith moves God. Faith moves him. In this case, a miracle happens. And this is where people will, will take a, a, a passage like this and they will form a doctrine that will say, you know, it's all about faith. Here, it's all about faith. If you just have faith, then, you know, God's going to heal you. And if you don't, so the opposite of that is what? If I'm not being healed, then what? I don't have faith. And that's not true at all. It's not true at all. We have to keep Scripture in balance. And that's why we look at the whole context of Scripture and we don't just take one Scripture and go, okay, well, this, this here clearly is evident that it's by faith that somebody's healed. And so if you're not being healed, it's not by faith. Well, guess what? If, if we all operated by faith, hypothetically, uh, because we don't always operate by faith, but we always say we do, but anyway, uh, let's say we did and, you know, and, and God healed because we had faith, then who would go to heaven? Those who didn't have faith? How do you get to heaven if you don't have faith? You, you see what I'm saying? It's just illogical. But the reality is that, yes, faith is in the equation of miracle. But let me do a little God math here. So it's faith plus God's will equals miracle. Okay, you can write that down in your Bible. Faith plus God's will 
equals miracle because God has a will for your life and he has a plan for your life. And in this case, it just so happens that in Bartimaeus's life, God's will for him because of, you know, not because of his faith, but God ordained it from the foundation of the world. His will is that he would be healed. And he is doing this specifically so that not Bartimaeus can be elevated, so that Jesus can be elevated, so that Jesus can be seen. When God does a miracle in the world, it's not to elevate you. It's to elevate him. It's to bring fame and glory to him. And it's to bring testimony that God cares about you in your situation, that he's try like he's trying to work in your life and everybody else's life around you at the same time. And he's saying, if you'll have faith plus my will, I'll do miraculous things. Let me tell you something. When you operate by faith, God always does miraculous things, but sometimes it's not in the form that you see. You know what I mean? Like, like building deeper trust in God is miraculous. Like, you know, creating a more Christ-like image in you is miraculous. It's not just the outward signs that are miraculous. It's the things that are going on in your heart where God is transforming your life. Those are miraculous too. And so Jesus comes to Bartimaeus responding to his, his faith. He stops. He brings him near to him. And he asks the same question he's still asking today. What do you want me to do for you? God has not ever stopped asking that question. Do you know that? He's asking that question to you this morning. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He is the servant of all. We just read that last week. Like he, came to, he came not to be served, but to serve. And he's still serving heaven. He's laboring over you day and night, making intercession for you. He is serving you in heaven. And he is asking you that question this morning. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Lord, I want you to give me a million dollars so that I can, you know, so I can help all those people in the world. No, I don't think that's good for you. There's an element where, where, you know, where we want to walk by faith, but there's, there's times where we ask for things that are not the best for us. Just as much as, you know, I love my kids and, you know, they are awesome kids and I trust them and everything, but they're, look, they're kids. And they ask for things that are not the best for them. And, the, you know, as it, you know, hey, Dad, can I have a bowl of ice cream for breakfast? Well, you could, but that's not what's best for you. And so I'm going to say no because I want what's best for you. And sometimes God, when we, even though we're responding by faith, we believe every, with everything that we have that he's able to do whatever it is that we're asking him to do. You know, he responds based on what's best for us. You know, God works everything out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. When you're going through a trial, a tribulation, and, you know, you're buried under the circumstances, and you can't seem to lift your head up, and you're like, and, and, you're, and you're saying, Jesus, you, you're asking me, what do you want me to do? Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get me out of the circumstance. I don't want to deal with the disease. I don't want to deal with this financial pressure. I don't want to deal with this relational issue. Can't you just fix it? And he says, I'm trying, but it's got to start with you. And it's got to start in your heart. And all you want me to do is take it away. But I'm telling you, we are, we are creatures that will not seek God unless we have to. He designed and fashioned and formed us to seek him. He put worship in our heart. And we will give everything else that until we have to. 
until we're put into a place until we have to worship God. And, and, and God is saying to us this morning, He's saying, listen, I don't want you to be in that place. I want to draw you out of that place into maturity so that you can, you can worship me because you get to. Like, you, you don't have to, but you get to. And God is moving you. Every one of you is in transition here today. If you're in Christ, He's moving you from, you know, I have to, to I get to. Like, some, you're somewhere in that spectrum and you're saying, Lord, where am I today? Am I still doing it because I have to? Or am I doing it because I get to? Where where's he moved you from? When I came to Christ, I had to come to Christ. I had to. I had nowhere else to go. I tried, I promise you. I tried to go everywhere else before I came to Christ. But when I came to Christ, he gave me what I needed, and then he moved me on. That's what he's doing with Bartimaeus. What can I do for you? And Bartimaeus, again, pleading upon the mercy of God, you don't have to, but I'm asking you to restore my sight. Will you restore my sight, Jesus? And Jesus, without even hesitation, goes, your sight's restored. Your faith has made you well. Your sight is restored. And we read those words sometimes when we are and we're struggling with stuff in our life, and we're saying, well, Lord, look what you did for Barmaeus. How come you're not doing that for me? And we get frustrated with God because he's not responding to our prayer the way that we want him to. And if you've ever been there, and I'm speaking from experience, by the way, if you can't tell, kind of passionate about stuff that I've gone through in my own life, but the reality is, is that you know, what I found in my life is the things that I asked for, had I have gotten them, would have probably um, put me in a place of complacency with the Lord rather than in a place of need. And so I'm thankful. You know, I, I, for the longest time, I could not figure out. I thought James was brain dead, right? Because James chapter 1, 4, you know, consider it pure joy, my brother, when I entire these tribulations and trials and, you know, because there's the testing of your faith and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, what? What's wrong with this guy? I don't want my, te my faith tested. I just want to live, you know, here and now till I go to heaven, right? And, and as I've matured in the Lord, I get what he's saying because it's those trials and those tribulations that produce that Christ-like character in your life. And so I'm thankful for what God's done in my life. He doesn't always let my sight be restored like he does in Bartimaeus, but he always meets me where I am. He always meets me where I am. God is faithful. The moral of the story and what, what is going on in these verses here, though, is that if you don't ask, you can't expect God to do anything. You know, sometimes we have the, the, the idea that God is God and He knows all, and so why bother asking? He knows what I need. Well, because Scripture says you have not because you ask not. And then it goes on to say you have not because you ask amiss. That's a different version, but the ESV says you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it what? on your own passions. God knows your heart, man. He knows you far more than you know yourself. And He knows exactly what you would do with the miracle that if He were to grant, He knows exactly with it what you would do. And it might derail your walk with God, so why would He do that? I mean, I can tell you, you know, as a dad, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I, I, don't, I don't want my kids to get in a relationship with people. You know why? Because I've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over again 
derails spiritual relationship with God for human relationship. People trade the human relationship for their relationship with Christ. And of course, I want my kids to, you know, whatever God wants, to, wants for them in their lives, but I've seen it happen so many times, I'm just like, stay focused on Christ and allow Him to do the work. You know, let Him bring what it is that He wants in our life because, you know, when, he, when we're granted what we want, sometimes it's not the best for us. And, and that's, when we, that's when we take God's blessings and they turn them into curses in our life. You know, when God blesses Hezekiah, for instance, with more life, he said Hezekiah is going to die. He tells Isaiah, go, go in and tell him to get his house in order. He's dying. He's going to die. And he turns to the side and he prays to God, God, give me more time. Give me more time. And God grants him more time. And those are the 14 worst years of his life. The 14 most worst years of his life, he, he totally turned away from the Lord. He didn't live for the Lord as he should have. And those were the 14 most distant years of God in his life. You know, and you think like, well, God, why aren't you doing this in my life? Maybe because those would be the most distant years in your life if God were allow that to happen in, in you. He knows what he's doing. You need to just trust him at what he's doing. You have not because you ask not. So we need to come asking and believing by faith that, you know, in what he wants to do. But we have to trust in his will. We have to say, Lord, I trust you at whatever you want in my life. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. I'm going to trust you. Uh, you know, here recently, I'm going to close with, with a little personal story. But here, this last week, you know, I, uh, I went to the doctor because I've been feeling kind of tired. And, you know, I've just been like, man, I just haven't been feeling good for the last four weeks or so. And, and uh, um so a lot of you guys know my story. I got saved out of anxiety of death and, you know, uh, several of my friends died in, in a period of time when I was like 24 years old and it freaked me out because I was like, man, I don't know Christ. I don't know God at all. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God, but I knew I needed Jesus. And uh, so it was the fear of death that God used to bring me into that relationship with him. And, you know, it took me a long time to work out of that fear of death, understanding what the scriptures say about death and all, all of that. And then, you know, and, and I felt like I got to a place where God really worked that out in my life and I wasn't worried about it ever. I didn't even think about it. Um, I was just living my life for Christ. And then in 2012, my, my little brother died at 38 of a heart attack and, and that, that, that didn't rock me in a, in a spiritual sense because I knew that, you know, he was a believer and I also knew that, you know, hey, that's what happens. But, it, but I came home, I got diagnosed with heart disease and, and so now I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, hey, I'm gonna die. And so for the period of about four months, I, all of this anxiety came back on my life. And so I had to start working through the scriptures again and just retrain my mind that, you know, uh, you know death has no grip on me. You know, it has nothing to, uh, there is no fear in it and, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I asked God to help me through that and he did and he always has. You know, and I felt like, okay, God, you know, what I really want you to do is just take away my heart disease. Because that, then that takes away the anxiety and everything. I have to worry about it, right? But I trust God. And I trust God with it. Well, this last week, you know, I go to the doctor and I'm like, man, I'm not feeling good and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not worried. I know that um, God has a plan. And so I ask him, hey, uh, um, I go to the doctor and he says, you know, I think what you're saying based on your symptoms, you know, maybe you have more blockage in your heart. So he does this quick test. And he's like, yeah, that, he's, he gets all serious. And he's like, yeah, that's really indicative of what I, what I believe is happening in your life right now. And, you know, I'm not worried about it because I feel like I'm in a place where I trust God, you know. And um, so I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. And 
Um, he goes, I want, I, want you, I want to do some more tests on you, so go sit in the waiting room. And I'm sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not thinking about my situation at all. But all of a sudden, I, ha- I just hit with this waves of fear. And instantly, I say, no way. I'm not dealing with that. There's no way that I'm going to allow fear to capture me in this situation. And just as fast as it came on me, it left. And that's because, and here's, here's what God is teaching me, is yes, I can ask for him to take me out of these situations, but, but also, you know, there are times that he's training me. And now I feel like where I'm at in my walk with the Lord is, you know, it's not that I won't face fear because we all have fear we face all the time. And what God is teaching me is that, you know, the temptation to fear is not sin. That's not breaking faith with God. Breaking faith with God is giving into that temptation and allowing it to overcome you. And, and I say this because I feel like what we see here is a method within, uh, you know, uh, something that I think God has used in my own personal life to help me overcome these things when I ask God to do something and his response is, no, I'm not going to take that away from you, but, but it's my will for you to be in this situation because it's pressing you closer to me, but I'm going to give you the power to overcome the fear because faith is the opposite of fear. And, and in, the, in the story of Bartimaeus, it's exactly what, I, how, you know, what I've done in my life to overcome anxiety every time. And it's this. You know, first and foremost, you have to recognize that you're not operating in faith. And I'm talking to believers here because sometimes we, we all say, that, oh yeah, I'm trusting God with that. And then, you know, you're freaking out really inside and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really, I don't know how to deal with this. And you keep telling yourself you're, you're trusting God, but you know you're not. So you have to acknowledge, first and foremost, that you're not operating by faith. Bartimaeus knew that he was blind, right? When he, he wasn't questioning whether or not he had need. He knew he was blind. So you have to acknowledge where you're at, whatever issue it is. You have to acknowledge that. And, 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 and now you're in a place where God can start to do work in your life. And the first thing that he's going to do is he's going to want to build faith in your life. Well, again, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Bartimaeus responded by hearing. It was faith that was built up into him. Okay, so we want to hear the word of God. Get back to, you know, those things in the word of God that have been, God breathed this out for you. Like it's powerful. You can use it. It builds faith in your life. Secondly, Bartimaeus began to confess Jesus as Messiah, as Savior of the world. And when you confess Jesus over whatever it is in your life, he has more power than anyone. There is no circumstance that has power over Jesus. He has overcome everything. And so we hear the word of God. We get back to that. We allow the scriptures to build up faith in us. And then we respond by faith by confessing him Lord over the situation in our life. And then we come to a place where we, we just continue to ask God to do what it is that he wants to do in our lives. And I have time and time again, I've seen that work in my life. And I know it's not fancy. And I know it's, it's simple. And we all know it, but we don't do it. And I've, I've done it over and over again in this issue in my life, and I feel like God is bringing me to a better understanding of how to have faith even when the circumstances still are present. How do you have faith in something when the circumstances don't go away? When, when, my, when my relationship is going downhill and, I'm, and there's divorce papers have, um, you know, standing in front of me, how do I have faith in that moment? you just keep going after the Lord. Because, you know, ultimately, 
there are people, two people involved in that relationship. And you just got to worry about yourself and focus on you and what the Lord wants to do. If you're in financial situations, whatever it is, whatever your need might be, you just continue to bring those things back to the scripture and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord over those things. You ask him, you know, by faith, but you trust him in these moments and you allow him to minister because that's what he wants to do. And so I want to just challenge you, man. If, if there's things in your life that you're struggling with, as Bartimaeus here, this is a glorious story, and I know it's kind of like a, you could have taught it a whole different way, maybe make it more glorious, but this is real. This is real life. And I think that's how the scriptures apply to our lives when, you know, you know we, God does heal, and he does amazing things. He has done amazing things in my life. He's healed me of anxiety, you know, and different things. Doesn't mean I, don't, I won't have bouts with it here and there because let me tell you something, the enemy is, um, he's not crafty. He's crafty, but he's not uh, unique. He just keeps bringing the same things after you over and over again. And God's given you a method to deal with all these things. Just have faith. Faith that works, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just uh, how it meets us where we are, Lord, no matter what. And uh, I thank you for the story of Bartimaeus, God, that gives us hope. That you are a God that heals. That you are a God that does amazing things in our lives. And that we can trust you no matter what happens. Lord, we want to have genuine, real faith today. And we ask you to um, just help us in our hearts, Lord, to do that. We want to confess this morning, Lord, uh, in any areas in our life that maybe we have uh, you know, allowed fear to creep in. We say we're operating by faith, but we're really not, and you're convicting our heart, and we just want to give those over to you today. And Lord, we want to ask you to, to rescue us from these things. We want to ask you to, to build faith in our life right now, in these areas in our life that we are struggling. And, and we ask, Father, that you just, Lord, if it be your will, that you would bring healing today. If that's a need, if, that you would bring you know, transformation in, in somebody's life that needs it here today. That's a miracle. Lord, that you would rescue relationships that are broken. Lord, we believe you're that kind of God, but we also know that you won't overstep man's will. And so we're asking you, God, to, to just do your, your plan and purpose in our life right now. We ask you to just meet us where we are. And for anyone that's not in relationship with you, you help us to be drawn to you this morning and to know that we can cry out to you and crown you Lord of our lives and watch you transform us. And so, Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, and we ask that you just uh, continue to work in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.